scripture to most of us. If you're new to church, maybe you haven't heard it that much. I may be the first one to use it for you to hear it. If you stick around, you will hear it again and again and again because this is so important. This is the number one thing on God's agenda. John 4, verse 35. And I want you to notice this first sentence is a question. A question, not a statement. Mike makes a statement, but it's in the form of a question. And Jesus said, say not ye. In other words, if I put it in more common terminology we would use, do you not say? There are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white all ready to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth, which leads him to verse 38. He said, I sent you to reap that whereupon you, there whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. You know, we're not doing this on our own by ourselves. I was just thinking about this Kansas City area, metropolitan area, and there have been Pentecostal pioneers for years that have come and, and poured their life and ministry into this great area here and, and seen a harvest, but not what we intended to see. And the tears they shed and the many hours of prayer and the seed of, of, of the gospel that they sowed in this area, uh, it, it, it's still going to bring forth a harvest. Amen. There's a, there's a type of beans that I got introduced to a few years ago, and a sazi beans. They come from out west. They found them in some of the uh, cliff dwellings of the indigenous North American Indians. They found some in pottery. And, uh, and these things are hundreds of years old, like maybe a thousand years old or older. And, and somebody took some of those beans and planted them, and guess what? They grew. And they cultivated that, and now they sell those beans. And, and it's a unique, unique bean, unique flavor. Uh, you know, once the gospel seed is sown, it never dies. When it gets in the right conditions, it'll sprout. It'll grow. It will bring forth fruit. And it's amazing to me when people come into the church and had a new family coming a few months back, and I got to talking to him, and you ought to see it. I'm, I'm, I'm in the talking mode here. And uh, this man uh, began to talk. My, I came into my office and visited with him and his wife. And uh, when he was a little boy, a small boy, I was trying to remember, maybe five, six, seven years old, his family was attending a Pentecostal church St. Louis, Missouri, and was pastored by Brother Guy Rome. And I knew him, knew of him, knew his son uh, from years ago. And uh, his parents moved from there to another state, but he's always remembered. Now he's uh, 50 years old or so. He's always remembered what he felt 
in that apostolic church, you know, uh, more than 40 years ago, uh, he felt as a little boy, and he said, all these years, you know, they've tried a few churches here and there, and it just, it just wasn't right. And he said, when he came into our church, he said, when he stepped through the front door into the foyer, he felt what he felt when he was a little boy. And, and he knew, he said, I knew then this is our church. This is it. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's wonderful. But, you know, here we are reaping where I sowed no seed. Others sowed seed and we are reaping. You have no idea how much latent seed there is that's been planted throughout this community. Amen. That all they need is just, uh, uh, you know, to hear the truth and to feel the presence of God. And this is what my soul is hungry for. Praise God. So I want to talk to you tonight about a revelation of the harvest. That means an enlightenment that comes from God. I'm talking about being able to see souls and being able to see the harvest through the eyes of God. Feeling about the harvest through God's emotions. How he feels about the harvest is how I want to feel about the harvest. The way he sees the harvest is the way I want to see the harvest. Amen. The way that he works and pours his efforts into uh, the harvest as the husbandman patient, patiently waiting for that harvest, I want to have that same desire, that same drive, that same initiative that God has. If he, he's done so much for me, if he wants a harvest, bless your heart, I want to give him one. Amen. David said, what can I render to the Lord for all of his benefits? I'll tell you what you can render to the Lord. Be a soul winner. Be a soul winner. That would make him very, very, very happy, amen, if we would help him, amen, in this great and glorious effort to reap the harvest. And so somebody already mentioned the Great Commission, and uh, I was planning on mentioning that uh, tonight. But that's the marching orders for all of Jesus' disciples. Amen. Those that are followers of Jesus is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Going to all the world. And, and, and the gospel that we preach is not a way to be saved. It is the only way to be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Do you believe that this is the plan? This is the way that God has chosen. That through him and only through him can men find salvation and eternal life. Praise God. And so I hope you have a revelation of that and understanding that it's only through obedience to the gospel that a man or a woman can be saved. Mark 16, 15, 16, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth, believeth what? The gospel. What you preach to them, he that believeth and obeys and is baptized shall be saved. 
He that believeth not shall be damned. Amen. Some people may get baptized for a show and not because they really believe and they're still not saved and neither will they produce fruit because they haven't, uh, uh, they haven't obeyed in faith. But I'm going to tell you something. When you believe the gospel and you obey the gospel and you're baptized in Jesus' name, you're going to be saved. Praise God. I'm glad somebody preached the truth to me. Amen. And that I believed it. And I'm telling you that without the gospel, men have no hope of being saved. John also said his first epistle, we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Amen. I'm telling you tonight, you've got what the world needs. Amen. This is what the world needs. This is what your family needs. This is what your neighbors need. This is what uh, your co-workers need. This is what the people you meet here and there, every man needs to hear the gospel. We are of God. The whole world lies in wickedness, but it's our job to get the gospel to them. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to whom? Them that are lost. The devil is working uh, tirelessly to hide and confuse the gospel. He does not want them to hear it. In fact, it goes on to say, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Don't you hate the devil, friend? Don't you hate him? Amen. He's working tirelessly deceiving people, presenting to them all kinds of alternatives to the, to the gospel. He tries to turn people onto materialism, uh, social causes, false religion, and philosophy, and activities, and on and on and on and on it goes. Happened to turn the radio on some time back, and uh, just scanning, trying to find uh, a station I could listen to traveling, and uh, had the Sirius radio, and, and you know, I still haven't learned how to work it. I, I've almost had three or four major accidents trying to find something decent to listen to and uh, you know, scanning through there and uh, I, I get focused on whatever I'm doing, you know, and I mean, anybody say I do that stuff as much as I'm supposed to, but I look up and I'm taking a little tour down through the here and there and, you know, I better get this back on track here for a little bit. But anyway, uh, there, it, was, uh, it was a sports station. They broadcast sports commentary. This guy was talking about, come out to the stadium, NFL football, and uh, and we're going to have church and worship our God. This Sunday, professional, hey, he was making no bones about it. That's his God and the God of millions of Americans and people around the world caught up on sports. Amen. But, but we have what the world needs. Amen. I said, we have it. And, uh, and so all these things the devil uses to blind people to their need of God and, and, and to the plan of salvation. But we have what they need. But I mean, tonight, I want us to get a, a better, a deeper understanding about the harvest. 
Amen. And, and, and what, a, uh, what an important part that each one of you play. We talked about ministry tonight, and, and it's appropriate. But I want to talk to you tonight about saints of God. Amen. Every one of us were called of God, first of all, to salvation. Secondly, we were called not to just get saved, but, but to be saints, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then not only that, but we are called to be a witness. Acts 1 and 8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Empowered for what reason? So we can shimmy and shake under the power of God? Is that all it's for? Is it so that we can talk in tongues and edify ourselves, building up our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost? No, all of that is for the ultimate purpose of us going forth, amen, uh, sharing this truth and this gospel with everybody we come in contact with. Oh, thank God. What we need is a church that gets a vision and a burden and somebody said tonight about a 500-soul revival, amen. Somebody said, how's that going to happen? It's going to happen when the church wakes up. We're not waiting for an evangelist to come. We're waiting for you to evangelize. Amen. That's your job. Every one of us are a witness. Amen. So in this story, in this uh, storyline of this passage of Scripture, introduce that uh, Jesus uh, must needs go through Samaria. There was something compelling him, something drawing him, uh, something I could even say driving him to go to Samaria, pass through Samaria. Have you ever had something pull you, draw you, push you, like destiny? Met a young black man. Now he's 30 years of age at the motel. Was it yesterday, honey? Or yeah. And uh, he came down on the elevator together. I spoke to him. And uh, he, he was a pleasant young man. And uh, he asked me where he's going. He was going uh, to Walmart, he said, and uh, to pick up some things. I think he cashed a check. Anyway, just a little chatting. I found out a little bit about him. And uh, we were leaving to come to church and uh, had a few minutes extra. We were going to stop and uh, get a cup of coffee. Uh, you know, the main reason is so we could wake up. <laughs> I've been running, running, running. And, uh, and I, I, I don't like to sleep on preachers because I don't like people sleeping on me that much. But I have gone to sleep on preachers before. Pretty sure it's Walt Jr. Lord, I've already, I've already fixed it up with him. But uh, I didn't want to embarrass myself uh, by nodding off. I want a cup of coffee, so we're leaving early enough to do that and get here for prayer both. And and I just felt compelled, and I said to him, I said, uh, he, he kind of indicated uh, he didn't have transportation. I said, well, hey, you want to ride? We'll drive you to Walmart. I had no idea where Walmart was, but I figured uh, 
with Sister Sherry and Brother Google, we could find it. And uh, and so uh, he really appreciated that. So we gave him a ride. We got to talking to him and, and found out he, he's moved down here from New York State, raised in Philadelphia, and, uh, and, and uh, trying to start a new life, turn a new leaf, and, and uh, working truck driving here. He's got a job here. He's starting it tomorrow, and he's excited about it and all that. So we invited him to church. He said he was going to come. And would you believe, as many people as coming and going and whatever, every time we get ready to go somewhere, we run into him again. And uh, he was supposed to come today. And, and uh, he showed he sent me a very polite text, said he wasn't going to be able to make it. Thanks for the invitation. So forth and so on. So we left the room. We went downstairs. And guess what? There he was. And uh, hello, Claire. I've got his phone number, his name, he's got mine. And uh, I told my wife, I said, in the room, I said, I'm so thrilled about Claire. I said, it, it's not an accident that we ran into this young man and talked to him about church. And, and uh, I could feel God calling him, and I've been praying for him. And I said, I'm not giving up on him. I said, I'm not giving up on him. I said, I'm going to call him and talk to him, see how his job is going. And stay in touch with him. Because, you know, of all the people I could have run into and been in contact with, and there he is. That, that's what's, you know, lifestyle evangelism is what it's about. You know, knocking doors, passing out literature, all that's good. Let's keep doing it. But it's, 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 it's meeting people. It's talking to people. It's, it, it's being a friend to people. And, 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 and being aware that there's a harvest out there. And this is not an accident that I was put together with this person. I've had the opportunity to witness the bank presidents and, and CEOs of corporations traveling and flying different places, important people uh, over in the Philippines that I met while flying to and from there numbers of times through the years. Uh, somebody said, well, have you won any of them to God yet? So far I haven't, but I know some that I know God is dealing with. Amen. My banker owns uh, the bank that I do business with, and uh, and uh, uh, he calls me on a, on a pretty frequent basis. We get together and have lunch, and I tell him about God. I tell him everything God's doing. I told him about the miracle of healing God did for me a, uh, a year and a half ago, and year ago for my wife, and uh, and God healed both of us of, of serious heart trouble just as they were getting, going in to do procedures, and uh, and the same cardiologist, and I witnessed to him, and and uh, the second time, uh, he come in there with a funny look on his face, he said, just a few minutes after my wife was taken out, he said, well, uh, your wife's okay, and he had, he come in just acting real funny, moving his hand. Like nervous, like you know, like Lord, I've been, I've been in the hospital enough. When the when the doctors come out and they act like that, they're fixing to take you in a room and tell you some bad news. Usually, it's somebody passed away. And I kind of, I, I said, well, "What do you mean she's all right?" I said, "Well, well, she, she's okay. She said she doesn't have any any uh, what was they called it? Uh, uh, cor she doesn't have any any coronaries." 
Great. I said, well, her coronaries are fine. They're good. I said, okay. I said, well, what did you do? He said, I didn't have to do anything. And when they were doing the stress test, she started trying to have a heart attack. They had to pull her off of it, give her medication, work with her. And, uh, and, and when he interviewed us, he said, he told us, he like this, he said, well, you flunked. He said, you flunked big time. He said, you flunked every way you could flunk. The EKG was bad. The, uh, uh, what was the other deal when they looked at your heart? Like the valve, you know, what, what was it? Echocardium, echogram, or whatever. Uh, they had valve problems, and, uh, and every, everything was done. You, you know, you failed every test. And uh, they said, you got, we, you got problems. We cannot wait. We got to get something done. The same cardiologist a, a year earlier. They, they had me ready for a similar situation, and God healed me two days before it happened. I felt it when it happened. I told my wife, I told uh, Pastor Friend, I said, I don't even think I need to do this. I, don't, I think everything's all right. I'm not having any trouble breathing. I feel good. I feel like you're supposed to feel. And sure enough, he confirmed that. And, and he, he told me, he said, uh, you're, you're, you're uh, I said, well, how do you explain all these tests and what it shows? He said, well, it was uh, idiopathic. Now, y'all said, I think that's evidence, right? I didn't. I said, what does that mean? Does that mean your patient is an idiot? Is that a nice way of saying he's an idiot? He said, no. Here's what the man said. He said, that I'm telling you, your, your, your cardiologist is an idiot. He said, that's what we say when we don't know the cause of something. I looked it up later. He was honest. That was what it meant. When, when, the, when the cause is unknown, they call it idiopathic. And he said, I went to school this many years. I studied under this. I went to this specialized field. And he said, I, I've been practicing medicine for so many years. And he, nothing wrong with your question. I should be able to answer. But I promise, I just don't know. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you what. I said, I'm going to tell you why. I said, uh, we've been praying, and God has touched me. He said, well, prayer don't hurt. A year later, he was still in that fungus down. And uh, I said, well, how do you explain that? He said, I don't have an explanation. I said, well, let me tell you what happened. I said, we prayed for her last night. And before I could finish my statement, he said, well, it worked. And then he turned and he walked off. And he went about this far and he turned around. And with very sincere eyes, he said to me, would you pray for me? And I said, yes, doctor, I will. And he turned quickly and went out of the room. So there's some seed sown. Some seed sown. Amen. I visit with my garbage man. And made good friends with him, him and his wife. She comes with him. They private trash hauling service. We live out in the rural area. And I'm really, I'm really believing. I'm really believing. We're going to get planted. I just feel good about it. Amen. It's harvest time. Everybody's a prospect. Amen. I believe it. I believe it. I'm not always real, real good on my history, so 
but the details might be off just a tiny bit. But uh, one of the most decorated men. He was just a, he was just a newbie. He wasn't even private first class. He just just drafted him in. I think it was in World War II, and uh, and he didn't even know what he was doing. But he was a warm body, and they uh, had him do a few calisthenics and and uh, and uh, gave him a, a little bit of a of a you know a little medical uh, exam and put a gun in his hand and sent him to the war. And uh, he went into the woods, into the forest. He got kind of turned around, separated from everybody, didn't even have enough sense to stay with, with the group. And he wanders off and into the middle of a, of a camp, an encampment of Germans. And this little farm boy was quick-witted. He looked around and he saw where he was. He said, all right. All of you, lay down your weapons and stand up. We got you surrounded. So they all begin stacking up. He said, all right, line up. He got them marching on out of there. I don't remember how many it was. Do you, have you heard this story? Oh, man, this is a good one. And I, I really hope it's true. No, I didn't verify it. I just don't remember the number, but it was a huge number, like 50, 60, 70 men that he captured and marched him <laughs> back to where he found he found where he wandered off from. He kind of marched them into camp. Here they were, you know. And uh, so later, somebody said, well, well, how did you do that? He said, he said, well, that's quite a deal. He said, well, just go out there and, and find you some. He said, the woods are full of them. <laughs> I'm telling you, this city is full of people that we need to apprehend for God. Amen. Come on. Get a vision. Get a revelation. Get an understanding. There's people tonight that's miserable on a bar stool that wants what you've got. There's people tonight sitting at home watching another movie for the 15th time because they're bored and there's something missing inside of them. And they want what you've got. Hallelujah. There's people tonight that are broke, that are that are. Uh, diseased that are uh, some are bound by alcohol or drugs or other things and they're sick of the way they're living and they want what you've got. There are others that have everything materialistically that you could ever want. Amen. And that's not satisfying and they want what we have tonight. God's talking to them. God's dealing with them. They're going to have a dream tonight that stirs them up. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? And we need to be spiritually sensitive enough to recognize when we bump into one of these people, God's talking to this person. God put me here. It's not an accident. Oh, let's give thanks to the Lord right now. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. So when you get 
this revelation and you get sensitive to, to the things of God and the Spirit of God, you're going to start picking up on those little urges like just standing in the grocery line and just waiting. And the best place to wait in a line would be Walmart. Because if you like standing in lines, you'd love Walmart. Right? How many of you ever have to stand in line at Walmart? How many of you have never had to stand in line at Walmart? That's what I thought. So that's a good place to stand in line. Amen. And while you're there, instead of griping and complaining or talking about how crazy the weather is, why not talk to somebody about the Lord? Why not talk about your church? Why not talk about what a great pastor you have? What a great great group of people you have. Amen. Wouldn't it be neat to meet somebody at Walmart that wants what you've got? Just look. Praise God. Praise God. So Jesus felt that compelling. You know, he didn't operate out of his own mind. He, he, he said, I don't do my own will. I, I, I do the will of, of him that sent me. And, and the works that I do, it's, it's, it's the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the will. He didn't take credit for anything as a man. And then he even went further, and I, I, haven't acqui- I haven't attained to this yet, and neither have you, so don't condemn me. But he said, I do always those things that please my Father. Always. Always. Now, when I preach on that, I say, I do sometimes. There might be some periods when I do most of the time. But I can't say I do always. I want to get more in tune to the Spirit of God that indwells me so that I can always do His will. Don't want to miss one opportunity. Amen. Don't want to pass anybody up. I, I, I don't want to. You know, when, when you're in sales, you pre-qualify uh, certain ones that you go to call on and and you got little things that you do, and you decide whether they're a good prospect or not. Amen. I don't want to approach soul winning that way. Amen. We had a special Easter presentation, and people brought college professors, school teachers, school superintendents, uh, CEOs, doctor, attorney, uh, people that worked with them on the job, neighbors, friends, family. It was, a, it was amazing. It was amazing of the people that was with the whole spectrum from, from very poor people from the projects to some of the elite people in the city, a cross section. I thought, how in the world would this ever happen again? Amen. But it will happen again. But I'm telling you, this one man, he, he owns one of the fastest growing businesses in the U.S. He's in the mortgage business. He's already in 38 states. In the month of June, they closed on, I believe it was $5 billion, B-I-L-L-I-O-N, dollars worth of mortgages. Two of the men in my church worked for him, invited him, and him and his family came. And the last song we sang was, Baptize me, Jesus, with the Holy Ghost. I shall have power. And he said, he said, I've never been to anything like this in my life. I enjoyed it so much. He said, my favorite part was that last song. He said, I want to know more about that. And he liked it. 
He, he's, he told his mom and daddy and they came. Amen. And so, you know, God's working. You never know. I think, I think sometimes we apologize for what we have. We apologize for the way we are. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation of everyone that believeth to the Jews uh, first and also to the Greeks. We need a revelation. The world is in turmoil. People are fearful. Everybody, you know, they're, they're tired of the way things are. That's why, that's why our, our, our primaries is such a, such a mess. People are looking for a change. They're looking for something. They're tired of politically correct. Amen. You know, I told my church recently, I, I'm not trying to be PC. I'm trying to be PC. You know what that is? You need to learn. Amen. I want to get this started. I'm trying to get this to catch on. BC means I want to be biblically correct. Not politically correct, but biblically correct. And when you preach it out of the Bible, you don't apologize for what the Bible says. You can't be biblically correct and politically correct at the same time. Because to be politically correct, you got to endorse lesbians getting married and homosexuals getting married and all kinds of perversion and ungodliness. So I don't want to be politically correct. I want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because people are tired of, uh, of false religion and, and play church and they want something that's real. And we've got it. We've got it. We've got it. We're not looking for it. We have it. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. So Jesus needed to go through Samaria. I'm going to wrap this up here pretty quick. He sat down on the curb of the well because he was, he was weary. And it doesn't tell you right then that he sent the disciples in to the city to buy food and all. But later on in the story it does, and it's foreshadowed. And he's sitting there, and they left, going to the city. Twelve grown men. Twelve disciples of Jesus Christ. Twelve hand-picked and chosen. And if you, you really study out about him calling the apostles, and, and it tells us, you know, in Matthew and Mark, other places it lets us know he had a number of disciples, many disciples. Many of them were tribal witness. They followed along. Remember the time he sent out 70 two by two? These were all disciples, but they were not the elite, the 12 that he chose. These 12 were with him. He sent the elite team into that city to get some lunch. Amen. Uh, they were hard to find. It's something Jews would eat. Samaritans probably go down and have pork rinds. They don't eat pork. So I don't know. They, they, but they, they, that's what they would have eaten. And in the meantime, Jesus is talking to a woman that came to the well. You've heard the story of the woman at the well. I don't need to go into all the details because I won't get you to the part that I really want you to focus on. But he asked her for a drink of water. And she, she said, basically she said, who are you speaking to me? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. We don't talk to one another. And he's a woman. If you knew who I am, what I have, 
He said, you would ask of me to give you water. Amen. He says, the water I give you will never thirst again. She said, what are you talking about? He got her attention. He's letting her know, I've got something better than what you got. You've got a water pot, and you're going to let it down in here, and you're going to get some water, and you're going to work and work to pull it back up. Because she talked about, uh, how are you going to give me to drink? She said, uh, the well is deep, and you don't have anything to draw water with. So she had a rope, and she had a water pot. You know, she got to work at getting that up there. He said, I've got living water that I want to give you. And so things changed. She filled all the excuses. She was a religious woman. She was a religious harlot. Sounds like the city I pastor in. Charismatic capital of the world. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how little is required of people that attend these churches. They don't have to change. They drink. They dress so immodest it's embarrassing to be around them. They curse. They go to every worldly pleasure there is and involved in it. Many of them go to bars and hang out. And they're there on Sunday just praising Jesus. Give me a praise track. I, I get calls from them every so often. Pastor, we uh, we have a certain praise team and and uh, we have uh, we have uh, dancers and we have this and that. We want to come by and and uh, and uh, you know and lead the worship in this service. I said, oh, I said I have my own praise team. And uh, I said, uh, really don't think we can. Oh, who is it? I said, it's my whole church. They said, what? I said, yeah. I said, we all worship the Lord here. We dance, we sing, we clap. I said, I, they said, really? I said, yeah, really. Of course, they're not wearing tutus and carrying flags and twirling around like that. But I'm going to tell you something. There's so many religious people out there that don't know this truth. And she's one of them. Jesus began to deal with her on a personal level. So in the meantime, the disciples return, bringing food with them. And that's when it tells us that he had sent them into the city. Okay? Jesus sent them into the city. Have you got that? Now, he didn't say go in the city and do some witnessing and soul winning. That's not what he said. He sent them into the city. They had some things to take care of, some business. And so now they're coming back, and they see him talking to a Samaritan woman. And they look at one another, and they're thinking, what is going on here? Jesus perceived their thoughts, what they were thinking. And they came on up to him and said, here, Master, we brought you some food to eat. Jesus said, I'm not hungry. I've already eaten. He said, oh, would you? He said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. He was telling them, what I'm doing, I like, I enjoy more than anything. This is, this is, this is the real stuff. This is the good stuff. Amen. And, and they marveled. Who, who gave him to eat? And then Jesus said, There's yet four months and come to harvest. 
outside the city. That's where the fields are. And because of the context of things are said, it's like it is right now. Maybe just a little bit earlier than right now. We, we, my wife and I just marvel at how beautiful the, the fields of, of winter wheat that are green up and about that tall. Just like a velvet carpet of green, of green wheat. And he said, you're saying, yet for months, and then come with the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the field. He said, you're missing something. You're, you're, you're not seeing what I'm seeing. And while he's speaking to them, the whole city is coming. They were just in the city and they saw all these people. They never brought one of them to see a man that could tell them everything they've ever done. You understand what I'm saying? And Jesus rebuked him and said, I sent you. To reap. That's what he told him. That whereon you bestowed no labor, other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. People, have we lost the ability to know what hungry souls look like? They come in all colors. They come in all ethnic backgrounds, all sizes, all ages, all spectrums of the economic world, all levels, economic spectrum, I guess you could say. What's wrong with witnessing to the lost? Brother Turner that's doing the title work of the house of life. What's wrong with witnessing to your coworker? Your boss, somebody working under you as an apprentice, next door neighbor. Do you not see then that God has put you in their life? Amen. To tell them about Jesus. He said, I'm telling you, lift up your eyes. All you've been looking at is yourself. Get your food, get out of here, get back. I hate these Samaritans. I hate being here. We'll be lucky if we get out of here without being mugged. Peter hoped he could start a fight, and so were the sons of thunder, Peter, James, and John. They were itching for a fight. In fact, James and John, Jesus named them the sons of thunder because, don't you make a connection here, they went to a certain village of Samaritans, and they rejected them, and they said, Lord, you want us to call fire down from heaven. Okay, what kind of fire comes down from heaven? Lightning. <laughs> he said, you don't know what spirit you have. And from then on, he called them the sons of thunder. They were hating the people that they should have been loving. They were prejudiced against those that needed salvation. I looked out over the congregation. I pastored about, oh, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago. Everybody in the church I pastored was church I pastored spoke Jesus and I told my church I said we're doing something wrong I said we are preaching an exclusive gospel it's only for the white people in this city 
I said, we have no black folks. We have no Hispanic folks. We have no Asian folks. All we have is people just like us. This is not good. God wants us to reach every ethnic group in this city. And, and I said, we're going to start praying tonight for God to help us reach into the Hispanic community, help us reach into the black community, help us reach into the Asian community. We really don't have that many Asians there. We have more now than we used to have in the Gulfport, Mexican Connection in, in St. Louis. But, but today, when I look at my church, our, when our choir sings on Sunday, there's usually 30 or so in the choir, and uh, that's sanctuary choir and the youth choir has about the same amount in it and then sometimes we we all sing together just on rest days but I look up there and some of the lead singers will be black some of them be Hispanic some of them will be white but but uh, look out over my congregation I got teachers uh, you know different uh, ethnic backgrounds God's helped us put some preachers out on the field and others that are ready to go I've got a, a fine black preacher that uh, started a revival tonight uh, in, in the church that I started uh, 47 years ago, 46 years ago, almost 47. And uh, I think he'll end up being a pastor there before too much longer, being Hispanic. And, and my point is this. I've got elders in the church that are black. I, we've started two Hispanic churches. Both of them are uh, full-fledged churches. Uh, I just... I just I get reports from them, and this just this past week, while I've been down here, uh, I told them when when we dedicated the building here, God gave it for them, and uh, and ordained Pastor Rocha. I, I I told them in the church. I challenged them. I said, "Listen to me." I said, "This is not just a Hispanic church." I said, "If we did not have a burden." For other his, uh, other ethnic groups, you all wouldn't be saved. You wouldn't be in the church. And I told Brother Rocha, I better not find you just over here reaching only for Hispanics. You're in a mixed neighborhood. I expect to see white people coming. I expect to see Asians coming. I expect you to reach out to them and win them to God. And I said, if you have to, you buy some of those uh, uh, some of those uh, little in-the-ear uh, uh, receivers, and you have somebody translating from Spanish to English because the English-speaking people in this part of town needs a, 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 an opportunity to hear the truth. I told them, I, I, I want to see this church over the years, amen, be a mixed congregation. They need the same vision that our home church has. This week, this past week, a young black man, I, I'm looking at him, I think he's probably 18, 19 years old, uh, English speaking, received the Holy Ghost, been baptized. Sunday a week ago, a family from Micronesia, kind of an Asian type family came in and and the man and the woman repented, got the Holy Ghost. He baptized him in Jesus' name a week ago, tonight. 
And then I got, he had a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday revival. And he had some more new people. Somebody, another new man got the Holy Ghost today. And, and, and I think he said there was 30-some first-time visitors. And many of them praying in the altar today, having a revival. Come on, we got to lift up our eyes and look on the fields. They're white under harvest. Did not Jesus say, whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Let's stand together. Amen. I'm going to give you just a few little points here. I want you to stand. I want you to listen. This, 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 I'm going to wrap this up for you. There's several truths regarding the harvest that I want you to understand and acknowledge. Number one. It's, it is not God's responsibility to reach the lost. It's our responsibility. Everybody say it's not God's responsibility to reach the lost. It's my responsibility. I let that sink into your spirit. Number two, we do not direct who is ready for salvation. But we must be spiritually perceptive enough to recognize and capitalize on those that are ready. Amen. Are you hearing the truth of that? Got to be spiritually minded and sensitive to God and know when somebody's ready, God's dealing with it, and step through the door. Amen. The third thing, this is a big one. Of all the great hindrances to revival today, you know what the worst one is? I'm not trying to be mean, but I've heard it here tonight. Heard it here tonight. Is that revival Sunday mentality. We've heard prophecy. We've had preachers say this. Everybody comes by and says, man, I feel the revival spirit here. And when we come together and we get all excited talking about we're going to have a revival Sunday. You know, they taught me when I was a kid, tomorrow never comes. Well, good, Sunday. You're going to be saying the same thing the next Sunday, the next Sunday. I say unto you, now, now, today is the day of salvation. Let's quit talking about someday and let's have it today. Praise God. You know, we look for key people to come in, for people to move in to help us, and people with money to come in, and we'll have this, and we're looking for the right evangelist. I'm going to tell you, I found the right evangelist. I found him. Let me tell you who it is. Amen. It's this young man right here, and this young fella right here, and this young man right here, and this fella, and this right there, and right here, and then this fella, and this here, and here, and here, and here, here, and here. You don't need an evangelist to come in. You need to get a vision for the lost. You know somebody right now, sir, that needs God and is waiting on you to invite them and talk to them about God. You do. You really do. I feel that in the Holy Ghost. There's somebody in your life that God will lead you to this week if you open your heart up. And you're going to find a hungry heart to talk to this week. This week. My, 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 my. Say not ye, there's yet four months. He said, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the field. They're wide under harvest. They're ready right now, right now, right now, right now. 
let revival break out this week. I said, let revival begin this week. You want to be a part of the harvest? How many want to be a part of the reapers that goes out into the harvest? Lift your hands in the air and start walking down toward the front right now. I want to get in on that.